This is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Today, a remarkable and unique discussion. You're going to hear from the European Union, a special conference on COVID, a group of physicians and scientists and professors with thousands of articles collectively published in peer-reviewed journals at the top of their game, laying out in slides that you won't be able to see, but all the people in the chamber are there, and it's packed at the European Union. From around the world, they've come to hear new information on how COVID was planned and exercised. This is the greatest health fraud in history, according to them. And they lay out this with slides and the presentation to a scientific world. Not a word of this is shared in the Western media, the rest of the European media. Why? This is a truth that needs to be told. So let's hear what they have to say. Well, thank you very much. Thank you to members of the European Parliament for hosting us and inviting me to speak and our organized, ICS organizing group for inviting me. Uh, could I have, uh, we have the first slide, good. It, it says, it's, oh, I'll move over, okay. Um, so I'm gonna speak only very briefly and about something that I apologize in advance can be a little bit technical. I'm an epidemiologist, I'm used to being technical. My students have always complained that I'm technical and I tell them, but it's science and science is technical and what can I do about that? Okay, next slide please. So this is a somewhat complicated slide looking at studies of the Moderna vaccine. I'm skipping ahead to the Omicron era during the pre-Omicron era for the, the, the variants of, of the virus. The, there's uh, many studies, they show more or less the same thing, but it's much more clear and much more relevant to us now to look at what's happened in Omicron. And one can see in the uh, charts on the right, the vertical line, in the middle is no efficacy of preventing infection. And you can see uh, each line in the, the different variants is time from after the vaccination or the, the last dose occurred. And you can see over time that the efficacies go down towards zero and in a few cases go below zero. The chart on the left shows what happens with four doses and it doesn't help. So that's been a characteristic of the, the Moderna vaccine. Okay, the next slide, please. This is the, the Pfizer vaccine looked at in 51,000 employees in the Cleveland Clinic. And the, each line in different colors, it starts from zero doses of the vaccine at the bottom and going up one, two, three, and more than three doses. The x-axis, the horizontal is time, and the vertical axis is risk of uh, infection. And you can see the more doses one has had, no matter which time point you're at, the risk goes up of getting COVID with more doses of the vaccine. And this is the, the uh, Pfizer vaccine. Next slide, please. Here is a study of, of both uh, Moderna and Pfizer vaccines in Qatar. And oh, the same thing again here, that one sees that after four to six months, 
in fact, the efficacy of the vaccines become negative, which means that vaccinated people are more likely to get infected with COVID than unvaccinated people, people who've never been vaccinated. The sections on the right are for the boosters, and there wasn't enough time to follow them for long enough, but the same thing eventually happens for three or more doses and the boosters. Next slide, please. So these data throughout Omicron led the CDC, our CDC, to state on August 11th of last year that the vaccines do not work for the purposes of public health infection control. And their exact statement is in this box, which is receipt of a primary series alone, that's two doses, in the absence of being up to date with vaccination, that means whatever boosters they define, through receipt of all recommended booster doses, provides minimal protection against infection and transmission. Minimal protection. Being up to date with vaccination, meaning getting the most recent dose, uh, booster, provides a transient period of increased protection against infection and transmission after the most recent dose, although protection can wane over time. So for me, as a public health person, the idea of transient and waning is not part of my public health lexicon. We need to have methods of managing a pandemic that last for more than weeks to a month or two. And they have said in this statement that the vaccines do not fulfill that role for public health management. Now, I assert the logical conclusion is the only state interest in mandating vaccines is to prevent transmission that whether or not they prevent severity of illness is not a state interest. The state can always build more hospitals if it needs to. The $150 billion that we spent doing the wrong thing could have been spent in the U.S. building more hospitals. So the issue of, of disease severity is not a state interest. What's a state interest is preventing unwilling people from, from, getting vaccinated, from getting infected by their neighbors or whatever, and the vaccine should prevent transmission. And here you see that the state, the CDC, says that the vaccines don't do that. And to me, that is the end of the story. That is the statement that the vaccines should and cannot be mandated for prevention of infection, and the state no longer has an interest in that fact. Now, I want to... Uh, next slide, please. I want to just briefly touch on something about another one of the ridiculous frauds in evaluating the efficacy of vaccines that my colleagues ha have uh, talked about in other terms. But in epidemiology, there are only three kinds of studies that can be done. They're called cross-sectional studies, randomized trials or cohort studies, which are identical, and case control studies. The only difference between these studies is how one selects the total number of people. In a cross-sectional study, you select a whole bunch of people, and then you see whether their cases are controls and whether they got vaccinated or not. In a cohort study or a randomized trial, you pick some, a number who are exposed and a number who get the vaccine, a number who don't get the vaccine, and you see how many become cases, how many get infected. And in a case control study, you do the opposite. You pick the number of people who got infected and the number who didn't get infected, and you see in their history how many of them have been vaccinated in each group. Okay, next slide. In the randomized controlled trials, the analysis should be done by vaccine efficacy. Is One calculates the relative risk, which we've heard about, the bad parameter, according to some, although as an epidemiologist, I kind of live with that, um, as one minus the relative risk. 100% minus the relative risk is the vaccine efficacy. 
However, in case control studies, case control studies cannot estimate relative risk. They estimate what's called an odds ratio, which may or may not be accurate for the relative risk, and they use one minus that for vaccine efficacy. Okay, next slide, please. So here is the original CDC publication of efficacy after the third dose uh, of the vaccine. They enrolled 4,094 patients. Uh, they excluded some, so they ended up with 2,900 patients. And then they classified them as to whether they were infected or not and vaccinated or not. By definition, that's a cross-sectional study. But they didn't analyze it as a cross-sectional study. This is the CDC. They analyzed it as a case control study. Uh, next slide, please. And they, they found a claimed vaccine efficacy of 82%, which sounds great. But in fact, the cases and controls in this are not infrequent, which means the odds ratio is a bad parameter to use. And they provided the actual data in the table from which one could calculate the relative risk, which I did here. And it shows that the, the actual vaccine efficacy in the study is 56%, not 82%. And astonishingly, the CDC has made this same error in almost every vaccine efficacy analysis that it's published in its in-house journal, Morbidity Mortality Weekly Report. This is a systematic fatal flaw in every one of these publications. Uh, next slide, please. And I don't see how the CDC could get 50-plus professional authors, MDs, PhDs, public health people, authoring every one of these papers saying these absurd claims about vaccine efficacy when they've used the wrong methods that are fatally flawed. And this, to me, is one of the, the most egregious factors as why I don't believe the CDC for anything. We know it, it's a corrupted agency as the FDA has been and so on. We've seen this um, very obviously in the last three years. And I'm sorry to say that this is what my government has been doing, and um, it's made me ha give second thoughts to how I consider what the appropriateness of our government activities. So thank you very much for your attention. Good afternoon, uh, and I would like to thank that I have the opportunity to talk here about the results that we have achieved in the last two years uh, by doing autopsies and bioptic examinations of uh, 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 histological specimens in Reutlingen in Germany. Um, actually, it was only three months after the uh, vaccination campaign started that the first relatives came to me and asked me if uh, I could uh, reevaluate the uh, autopsies that were done by coronas and by other pathologists because they did not believe in natural death causes. <clears throat> so um, by now we have 75 autopsies that we have evaluated and uh, uh, all people that died in timely connection with the uh, vaccination. And uh, increasingly, we get uh, surgical and bio-optical bio specimens, and we are by 50 such specimens now, and they are increasing. Uh, now, of course, from the beginning, when we saw the first cases, uh, we realized that uh, there was a new uh, 
therapeutic vaccine or, uh, that with a new way of action on the body. So uh, it was clear that there had to be some new uh, disease entities that we had to discover, actually. And uh, it was a toxin uh, apparently not coming from the outside, where you uh, examine the contents of the stomach or the uh, serum, but it was a toxin produced by the body itself. So we had to look for the toxin in the tissue, in the cells. And that meant that we had to develop a method to uh, demonstrate this by immunohistochemistry in the <coughs> tissues. Uh, so uh, <coughs> it came very clear from the first cases that I looked at. First, I was alone with this, uh, that uh, this developed into a scientific project because uh, of these uh, many new uh, and very alarming uh, things that we saw, and uh, by now we are about 10 uh, scientists internationally. We are a loose group co co collaborating in different fields. Uh, there are chemists and physicists and uh, bi uh, biochemists uh, working together just depending on the question. And uh, our review revealed that actually in 77% of these 75 uh, uh, autopsy persons, the vaccination had a, 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 an important impact on the death process. Now, the, you have to know that the older the get, the uh, most, more complicated the uh, process of death is, but definitely in these 77%, it was a major contribution. And uh, this, uh, of course, uh, is uh, very different from uh, the uh, first reports on the autopsies, which uh, mo 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 many of them had been done without histology. And uh, in uh, uh, the first diagnosis was there uh, was a uh, natural cause of death in 91%. So uh, only in 10%, the possibility of uh, a vaccination um, uh, damage was discussed. And uh, important is in our series that these were all, uh, in 80%, these cases were what we call now the SADS syndrome, the sudden adult death syndrome. So they dropped that at home on the street in the car. And uh, the, the advantage for us was that there are practically no uh, therapeutic effects that we have to look for. So if you have uh, uh, people who have been uh, artificially uh, res uh, res uh, respiration, of course, you have changes in the lung from the uh, therapeutic methods. So... Uh, some basic effect, of course, is there is an overlap between uh, the true viral infection and the vaccination effects on the body. But they, this overlap is very small because, uh, first of all, there are differences in the composition, like the uh, vaccine has adjuvants, it has con contamination uh, and uh, uh, second, the entrance in the body is different 
because the natural infection comes through the nose, the throat, and uh, the airways. And this is uh, an epithelium that is immunocompetent. There are immune cells already there waiting for the virus to enter. Now, if you inject uh, the, uh, the vaccination uh, into the muscle, uh, and uh, finally, it always gets into the vessels uh, and into the blood. So uh, if you do this, this is a, these are both uh, tissues that have no immunocompetence. So there's no uh, 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 defense by the body uh, primarily. And so it's the endothelium that is the first uh, a target of uh, the vaccination. And as we have endothelium in all organs, except for the teeth and some other structures, all organs are affected. And actually, we could demonstrate the uh, <coughs> spike protein in practically all organs, mainly in the vessels. And the first picture here shows you on the left side a normal a small vessel in the um, heart muscle. And you see these uh, spindle cells that uh, uh, surround the, the, the vessel like a wallpaper. They are very delicate. And in the middle, in the lumen, there are erythrocytes and some leukocytes. On the right side, uh, you see a, <coughs> a victim of the vaccination. And you see the, uh, the small vessel is destroyed. The uh, spindle cells, you can still see these are the remnants of the endothelium and the, uh, the dark dots are the lymphocytes that are attacking them. And uh, I, could, I could show practically in all organs similar pictures referring to the preceding presentations also in the testis, in the ovary, ovary and uh, other organs. So uh, the science and uh, public attention has mainly paid to the acute, acute uh, deaths and uh, adverse effects of the vaccination. And uh, the <coughs> okay, and, and uh, we focused on the long-term uh, effects and. And uh, yes, and this is uh, and we focused on those structures that are not renewable. So this is the heart. We already heard about the myocarditis, and you see the destruction by lymphocytes. And on the right side, the demonstration of the spike protein. And here you can see this is a needle biopsy from the brain. And you see in the middle a, a, a vessel with a dense infiltration of lymphocytes and a necrosis and a bleeding in the surrounding. And you can see that also the, uh, uh, on the uh, upside, uh, uh, left upside, you see the, the vessel, we see inflammatory infiltrate that is positive. And then you can see also that the nerve cells express the spike protein. And I personally would uh, prefer to use my nerve cells for thinking and not for producing the spike protein. 
So uh, the, another uh, permanent structure that is not so well known are the elastic fibers. And the elastic fibers are a main component of uh, the vessels. And here you can see that there are defects in the uh, uh, structure of the main aorta, the main uh, vessel of the body. You, I think even a layman can see that there's, uh, there's a hole practically in the middle, which we call a media necrosis. And here you can see the specimen of the main uh, vessel of the, the aorta. And on the left side, you see the wall is still coherent. And then there's a split. And there are actually two uh, parts of the wall. And in the middle, the dark is blood. And this person died of uh, a rupture of the aorta. And we can find the same defects in the small vessels of the brain. You can see the dark is the, uh, uh, the elastic lamella. They are clumped together and uh, fragmented. And you see uh, uh, on the left side below you, uh, these elastic lamella are, mi are missing, actually. And this is a microaneurysm. And uh, finally, the uh, one more structure that contains elastic lamella is the skin. And you see on the right upper side the normal skin with the elastic fibers, and this gives uh, the uh, uh, young appearance of people which have a good skin. And here you, on, the, on, the, uh, on the whole picture you see uh, a 30-year-old man, and you can see that these elastic fibers are dramatically reduced. And they are not only directly under the basement membrane re reduced, but also in the subcutaneous tissue. You can see, again, normal and uh, destruction. So to come to the conclusion, there are uh, non-regenerating elements uh, lost forever. And these are the heart muscle cells. Uh, this results in physical witness, fit, uh, uh, weakness. Uh, to handicap and temporary loss. And, and, and actually, we had one patient who was an athlete who committed suicide because he could not participate in any uh, competitions anymore. Then the second are the nerve cells. These resulted in multiple neuro neurological failure and death, a temporary loss of speech, heavy perso personality changes, and unconscious uh, periods. And uh, the third, and not so well known and not thought about so much until now, are the elastic lamella. Now, the elastic lamella are never replaced after puberty. So if they are lost, they are lost. And what is the consequent in arterial vessels resulting in media necrosis, rupture, and death, and scar? And if there's a scar, the elastic of the aorta of the arteries are going down and the blood pressure rises. So in the skin, this results in premature aging. And I have, so to say, since people know I have a telephone, they call me and I have so, uh, some kind of a telephone counseling. And one of the most uh, frequent Complain now is that somebody calls and says, says well, my, my husband, he looks about 10 years older since he has been uh, vaccinated. And I think I know why. Loss of elastic lamella. So I think these are devastating 
uh, uh, findings uh, for for a long time uh, 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 future because in 10 years nobody will think that maybe the blood pressure rise may have resulted from the lesions in the aorta. So I think this is really alarming and that is why we have to go to the public. Thank you. Hello. Um, my name is Dr. Meryl Nass and I and Dr. Kat Lindley will be talking about the um, new WHO documents. You've heard from my last two colleagues that the um, rulers of many countries and many other apparatchiks have been wantonly breaking the law over the last three years. They have had no concern about obeying the law and they want to protect themselves. Let's see. Oops. Okay. Um, we're undergoing a soft coup. And the idea is to create a whole new set of laws and ignore the existing human rights laws and other laws under the pretext of pandemic preparedness and the biosecurity agenda. Um, 70 countries at least are involved with this, 50 supported by the US. Um, and the justification requires you to believe that pandemics are common and that they're caused by humans um, catching diseases from animals, from what they call spillover. And Fauci and Daszak have pushed this idea um, continuously over the last three years. Um, two examples, this is one Tony Fauci said in the, in the journal Cell, in a human-dominated world in which our human activities represent aggressive, damaging, and unbalanced interactions with nature, we will increasingly provoke new disease emergences. Daszak and Fauci's two lieutenants said the same thing. We must realize in our crowded world, human behaviors, environmental changes, and inadequate public health mechanisms can turn obscure animal viruses into existential human threats. And who is going along with this? Basically, all the major multinational organizations, as well as all our health authorities. The WHO is developing through all its nations, but with the WHO directorate in the United States in charge, a pandemic treaty and amendments to the existing international health regulations that will remove the human rights protections currently um, embedded in the IHRs, will enforce surveillance, censorship, get rid of freedom of speech, require governments to censor and only push a single narrative. Also, we will be sub subject, if, if they can make this work, to vaccines developed in 100 days, which the organization CEPI is planning to do. And one of the people who founded CEPI was Jeremy Farrar, who is now the chief scientist at the WHO to bring this forward. Um, other things that... Uh, that Amendments do is to bind the state so they are no longer recommendations, but enforceable edicts. Uh, provide a liability shield, 
get rid of intellectual property rights, move supplies from one country to another, um, enforce digital passports, and the director general of WHO can demand that a pandemic or a potential pandemic exists. He can just declare it with no standards, and then countries around the world will have to obey. Uh, also, the WHO will tell you what drugs you can and can't use in your nation once a pandemic is declared. Obviously, the budget will increase. Um, One Health is another part of this. One Health is a concept that was created to enable the WHO, with these documents, to take over jurisdiction of everything in the world by saying that climate change, animals, plants, water systems, ecosystems are all central to health. Also embedded in this concept is a peculiar notion that humans are no longer of greater value than animals. And I've got the quote there from The Lancet in January. Um, nope. Yeah, no, I had an, one more. Oh, he's, okay. He's... He has left. Um, this is not my latest version of the slide deck. It's okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Dr. Kat Lindley. I'm Croatian born and American trained family physician. I'm going to cover the uh, treaty. So in December of 21, in a consensus decision that was titled World Together, the World Health Assembly established an intergovernmental negotiating body to drive to draft and negotiate a treaty with the aim to strengthen pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. The zero draft called WHO CA Plus was released on February 1st, 2023. Even though the World Health Organization failed miserably in preventing the spread of COVID-19, the CA Plus draft, as is, would dramatically expand the authority to declare a pandemic and thereby trigger provisions in the treaty, it would reallocate resources and encourage governments to waive intellectual property rights. The treaty aims to expand an international bureaucracy for health emergency with an additional budget that is estimated by the World Bank to be three times the current budget of the WHO. The nation members shall raise financial resources to implement the treaty and commit not less than 5% of their national health budget to be devoted to health emergencies. This treaty also calls on the parties to tackle false misleading misinformation or disinformation, thus forming its own version of Ministry of Truth. Important concept that Dr. Merrill Nass covered was One Health Approach under Article 18, and I urge everyone to actually read this article. The language sounds very benign, but is potentially catastrophic. By their definition, local health concern deemed a public health threat can be controlled at global level, giving WHO the right to inter intervene anywhere at any time. One Health, therefore, includes not only human health, but also the health of animals, agricultural plants, and environment. If passed, WHO would have control over every aspect of existence on Earth. The WHO would not necessarily prioritize human health, but rather would balance human health with animal and plant health. 
as well as environmental health, such as climate change. The bottom line is the previously encouraged recommendation by WHO now would become mandatory obligations to be followed by all member states. Also, WHO will be able to, on basis of perceived emergency, implement travel restrictions via digital passport, border closure, mandate certain lockdowns like masking, vaccination, approved diagnostic tools and treatments, all in the name of pandemic preparedness are the one health, one world. How do we stop this? If, if CA plus fails to achieve two-thirds majority or after adoption fails to secure at least 30 ratifications, it will not pass. We need to pass national and state legislation to block the treaty and the amendments to the IHR. We also need to maintain our national sovereignty and human rights as we know them, and we must exit the WHO. Thank you. My name is Robert Malone. Uh, I have the uh, opportunity to try to summarize this amazing conference in a very short period of time. I would like to specifically thank on behalf of the organizers uh, of this uh, third international COVID summit, which I anticipate may be followed by many more based on today's success. Uh, I wish to thank uh, Dr. S or Mr. Sinchik, uh, um, Madame Donato, uh, Monsieur Kolokarsik, uh, Madame Anderson, uh, Madame Karian, who's not here, uh, and, and uh, Christian Terres for their uh, sponsorship and willingness to take risk in, uh, in, in enabling this. in enabling this opportunity to speak in such a uh, esteemed uh, facility and uh, important uh, um, uh, um, parliament here in Europe. Uh, really, uh, one could argue the leading parliament for the world right now, thanks to the courage of these uh, um, bold and brave uh, dissidents who have been willing to stand up for truth and justice in the face of uh, enormous pressure. Uh, I, I, uh, this is very short notice to try to summarize all this in the span of about five or 10 minutes, so forgive me. Um, uh, uh, Christian and Ivan started off by welcoming but noting the gravity and seriousness and the inability to enter the building previously during the outbreak um, and that Four MEPs have basically given rise to this uh, growing momentum here in the European Parliament of willingness to uh, recognize the truths that have occurred uh, despite all of the propaganda, censorship, um, defamation, and other malicious activities that have been uh, deployed on them and so many others across the world, so many other leaders that have been willing to speak truth. Um, uh, the, the, the two members that initially spoke emphasized that we should allow science to say what it will and that the pat, this pandemic of, of the COVID narrative has finally collapsed. And with this conference, uh, they had hoped, and I think we have succeeded in demonstrating the failures of that approved narrative and what the truth has, has been, that has been revealed over the last three years, thanks to these many researchers and all of those that work with them. Them, uh, to provide this information for us. Um, it's become clear that uh, 
as David Martin uh, very uh, generously demonstrated, having uh, the frustrating situation of, of having warned the European Parliament about the risks of allowing the licensure or the, the patenting of genetic organisms and the proceeding of uh, um, gain-of-function research. Uh, he had anticipated many years ago and warned the Parliament about the risks that might incur if we allowed these policies, and then documented extensively how um, uh, humanity has been hijacked, morality has been hijacked, science has been hijacked, nature has been hijacked, all in the service of a universal vaccine template with 100 uh, percent protection. And he called that this must be reversed, that we must have in the future 100 percent product liability for those that wish to impose these or other new technologies on the populations of the European Union and the world. Um, Nick Hudson from Panda, who I have known personally, has worked very, very hard with his group, always willing to challenge the uh, dominant narrative, um, shared with us that uh, we really have had a false narrative dominating uh, world discussion and uh, press for, for these last three years, um, that being that these were deadly viruses, that there was no immunity, pre-existing immunity, that this was a novel virus, that everyone was susceptible to this, that we had asymptomatic transmission, that the lockdown saved lives, that the mass mandates reduced transmission. Every one of these things was a lie. And yet it was uh, repeatedly propaganded, propagandized and distributed throughout the world in a harmonized fashion that I think has left all of us in awe. Um, if nothing else, we must give credit to those who have uh, deployed this propaganda. I, th I think it is one of the most amazing demonstrations of, of modern psyops and propaganda, as was well demonstrated uh, um, during the uh, various presentations. Um, Isidoro, uh, uh, Isidoro demonstrated that this is not really a novel disease, it's an, it's an old disease. Um, and emphasize that you can't find the cause of death if you do not do autopsies. You can't save COVID patients with paracetamol and watchful waiting. And that spike, this is a, this is a lesson that was repeatedly emphasized throughout the conference, spike is a toxin. This is something that I was uh, roundly attacked for saying uh, over two years ago, and I'm, I'm very reassured to see that this is now universally accepted, at least within our community. Uh, Giovanni uh, Maldatori uh, demonstrated and spoke about the evolution of coronavirus, which demonstrates a pattern of disease attenuation, as many had predicted, that what we have seen during this outbreak is absolutely the selection of uh, vaccine-resistant mutants, but fortunately, Although we have seen the rise in infectivity and with the latest Arcturus variant, it seems to be ocular infectivity in particular, we've in parallel seen, as has been the case with virus outbreaks throughout history, we've seen the increasing attenuation of the virus and its reduction in pathogenicity now to the point where we really just have something akin to a normal circulating respiratory virus, the, the likes of which we have seen throughout all of our lives as physicians and as, as uh, general members of the, of, the, of the patient population. Dr. Stramazzi uh, emphasized the importance of early responses in Italy and most importantly, 
importantly, that it was known in June of 2020 that COVID was a treatable disease, despite the various efforts from throughout the world, in particular the uh, Italian authorities to suppress that information and to encourage the narrative that this was a novel disease that was highly pathogenic that required sophisticated novel treatments. Uh, Dr. Stramazzi gave us a great lesson in the ability of a, a well-trained physician to uh, obtain and derive and demonstrate the ability to treat a respiratory virus with existing agents. This is a theme that has been echoed throughout this conference and throughout the world, starting with the original International COVID Summit, which pioneered bringing together physicians from all over the world to demonstrate in particular and discuss and share with each other best practices in early treatment. And I think that, that this whole series I just want to give a shout out to the two organizers uh, that um, always wish to remain anonymous, Lily and Rob, uh, I'm, who's, who, are, who are not, who are not, medical, not medical professionals. They are brave, committed individuals who felt the call to duty and stood up at a time when everyone else was afraid and said, we are going to get these conferences started and run and operated. They have had repeated obstacles throughout the history of the International COVID Summit and overcome every single one. I can't tell you how many times we thought this conference was going to come to naught. And yet here we are, I think, with one of the most successful ICS conferences to date. Um, moving on, uh, Louis Fouchet um, gave us a great essay and presentation on um, the effects of mandates, early treatment, media, particularly focusing on masks, that there's no utility for masks for coronavirus. I know it will shock most of you. As early as March 2020, the evidence uh, existed that masks could cause harm, that the ECDC evidence for mask use is not existent or weak, that masks do not work in schools in the European Union, that those data are quite clear, that the lockdowns in the European Union increase the speed of transmission by 50% relative to Sweden. That's shocking to me. Um, lockdowns must be avoided and mask use in children absolutely must be avoided going forward for these types of respiratory diseases. I think that's something we can all get behind. Philippe Bourquois, I, I, per, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing, um, gave us uh, this, uh, I, I, you know, we were, we were deprived of the opportunity that many of us looked forward to, the, to for Dieter Raut to share his, his time and insight. I, I remember personally uh, how badly Dr. Raut was defamed, slandered, harassed, delegitimized by the press, and yet he persisted. One of the greatest virology scientists and immunologists in France, um, who unfortunately has been forced into retirement, built an amazing institute, the IHU, and we did benefit from Philippe Bouquois sharing with us the experience of the IHU in uh, the use of hydroxychloroquine, and in particular, his courage in, in speaking about uh, the limitations of really evidence-based medicine and randomized clinical trials in the face of an outbreak. 
uh, their willingness to make the same decision I had made, and I think in, in retrospect many of us will agree was the wise position to focus on drug repurposing, not development of new vaccines and not seeking novel drugs. Um, and the Institute led the world in this and uh, had great success and also demonstrated that the vaccines have had no effect on the pandemic, unfortunately. But I think we all uh, owe the, the Institute and Dr. Rout, thank you for their courage and uh, fortitude in the face of all the obstacles and all of the derision that they've encountered for their guidance and leadership in pioneering the various treatments that were revolving around hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin in particular. Um, Pierre Corey, uh, my American colleague, stepped in then and spoke at length about uh, ivermectin and gave us just a classic series of demonstrations about how the whole enterprise of the pharmaceutical industry and the academic publishing industry has been compromised through this in a way that we can now clearly see in the way they've mismanaged uh, repurposed drugs and ivermectin in particular. And I certainly uh, resonate with that. I have many uh, um, examples with him of, of how uh, the likes of the FDA have suppressed ivermectin very adequately. I saw what was going on during Active 6, and I resigned. Jason Kristof uh, gave us, I think, one of the most important speeches here from my perspective going forward. As we think about going forward, Jason gave us clear demonstrations of how the media and information warfare technology has been weaponized and deployed against us. And he concludes that crimes were committed and psycho psychology and psycho psychological technology was weaponized against the public and this must never happen again. This is one of the things that I feel most strongly about is somehow we need legislation that makes it clear that, that deploying fifth generation warfare technology, psyops, psywar technology on civilian populations is absolutely not acceptable. The, the whole, the whole, the whole, con and the bizarre thing is that it's justified on the base that it's necessary to do this to preserve democracy. I argue the contrary is what's true, that this makes the concept of democracy obsolete. The idea of of personal autonomy, of uh, the ability of an individual to have personal sovereignty is completely negated in a world in which governments feel uh, that it's acceptable to deploy modern uh, psyops technology on their own populations. It means that everything that we hold dear in terms of speech and uh, democracy and representation and and the devolution of power down to the lowest uh, level that it should be delegated to, which was a core principle upon which the European Union was founded, has has been negated over the last three years. And we have seen that clearly. It's the theme that runs all the way through this meeting. Uh, I have about two minutes. Harvey Risch gave us great examples about the problems with the uh, manipulation of data on the efficacy of vaccines. Byron Bridal, who I think has just been a hero all the way through this. Um, uh, 
Byron, I mean, I don't think there's a, a better case study that I'm aware of, of how somebody has spoken truth, acted with integrity and dignity, and just been harassed mercilessly by his academic in, uh, institution and his government. But Byram has stood his ground. I think he's developed some nervous tics over the last three years, but uh, I think he's just been an amazing hero in what he's done in revealing the Japanese common technical document and, and so many other things. Uh, Francesco Donata gave us uh, a summary from the morning about the importance of truth, democracy, and freedom, uh, which has been important to all of us since the beginning. I think those were excellent summary uh, comments. And Mislan Koko. Kukolovic, I, forgive me, um, uh, made the clear, unequivocal statement that physicians should define pandemics, not the World Health Organization. I think that's another thing we can all concur with. Christine Anderson followed that the COVID committee reports is is are repeating the COVID committee reports that have come out of this institution are repeating every single lie that we have encountered all the way through this as accepted wisdom. That report is really not valid. It is clearly biased. I could go on and on about the excellent uh, presentations from Gassetti Trito, Natalie Prego, um, Giovanni, uh, Emmanuel Darles, uh, Alejandro Diaz giving us the perspective from MAKO, um, uh, Kirk Milhound, my good friend, making it abundantly clear about the pathology associated with the jabs and the unnecessary deployment of the vaccines in pediatric populations and the excess mortality and morbidity that's associated with that. And uh, Rosanna Chifari spoke about the fetal effects uh, that spike activates my microglia in the brain, the CNS the, uh, consequences of this. Uh, um, Arne Burkhart spoke about damage to heart and lungs from 75 autopsies. So we now have clear autopsy data, excellent presentations from our pathologists, including my friend Ryan Cole, um, about the effects on cancer. Uh, we had uh, Vincent Pavon speaking about all-cause mortality in France. Um, the all-cause mortality statistics of Teo shooters showing the correlation between the deployment of the vaccines and the waves of excess all-cause mortality in the elderly are perhaps the most uh, clear and explicit demonstration of really a challenge, re-challenge study that I've ever seen. Um, there should be no more doubt about the relationship. We All of this noise about causation uh, or correlation does not pro prove causation. We've seen uh, data from Teo and from Jessica and so many others that refute this thesis. And as she kindly points out, um, without screaming it to the to the roof that the 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 criteria the Bradford Hill criteria have been abundantly met here uh, in demonstrating that this is a valid correlation um, I could go on and on about the uh, legal consequences and breaches that have occurred throughout the European Union and the world um, children's health defense and many others, uh, many other attorneys, both in the United States, in Australia, and throughout the European Union, Switzerland, are finally 
reaching the point where they're holding uh, officials and hopefully pharmaceutical companies accountable. And I think that we will all be able to synergize as this discovery process moves forward. So in sum, um, then we had looking forward, frankly, from Marilyn Cat, my good friends, um, this alert. And I hope that looking forward, that's the thing that you take home is these new regulations, these IHR modifications that are trying to be slipped under the rug so that we don't pay attention to them. And unfortunately, they've been promoted by the government uh, that I'm a citizen of. Uh, and I can tell you that in my country, there is great consternation and disagreement about pushing these from this administration and our health and human services through the World Health Organization. And I concur that the risk is substantial for basically a surreptitious power grab by a group that is not elected, is not representative, and has shown, for instance, in the monkeypox outbreak, as well as with this outbreak, to not be responsible custodians of world health and human health. I thank you for your time. I hope this was helpful. And now we've got to get out of here before uh, we get thrown out. As you can see from what they have shared with you, these are noble individuals, courageous individuals who've put their entire reputation on the line. Dr. Malone, who was one of the discoverers of the chemistry that led to the RNA vaccines, which he now deplores, was pillared on the front page of the New York Times as has been Dr. Ryan Cole, Meryl Nass, all of them, every single person has been attacked. And yet in their long and very storied careers, they've never had a single controversy. They were invited in to give their expertise on every area of science. Well, now they're telling the truth. The game is up. The house of cards has collapsed. Now you know what the truth is. Share it with others. Thank you all for listening, and have a nice day. Hey, 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 what's so, up now? Brother, what's up? Uh, this is hey, a big party, man. Yeah, I brother, like dig it. Stop right on. <laughs> Oh